Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is best-selling author, author, associate editor of the Washington Post, David Marinus, whose new book, Path Lit by Lightning, a biography of America's greatest athlete, Jim Thorpe, and also the sad saga of Native Americans reaching into the 20th century. Remember, we love taking your questions. So write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Miracle Brand and Magic Spoon, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. So please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James Carville, rarely is there a political tsunami outside of November. There was one this past Tuesday in Kansas, which overwhelmingly voted to retain state law protecting a woman's right to choose an abortion. You were the first person outside of that state to highlight this and note the deck was stacked by the conservatives. Hold it during a primary when more Republicans voted, misrepresenting the language and intent. It didn't matter. In the first test after the Republican Supreme Court overturned Roe, the voters in this deep red state turned out in massive numbers. James, this is what just dazzles me. There were 180,000 more Kansans who voted on this abortion referendum than voted in the Democratic and Republican gubernatorial primaries combined. It's a message that should scare many anti-abortion abortion Republicans around the country. And just a final word, and you are the expert on this, having been there so early. You know, I think this can clearly help Democrats in the fall. Senate candidates promising to vote for a federal law codifying abortion rights, using viability as a standard, not unlimited, while most of their opponents would vote for a national ban. And governors in big states like Michigan and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, can draw a contrast by vowing to veto uh, any legislation that bans abortion. But this is a big but. A, this is a winning supplemental issue. It'd be a big mistake, mistake to make it the main focus uh, over economy, jobs, and inflation, but it really matters. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm very happy to report to our listeners that this show was on this before anybody else stayed on it longer than anybody else, understood the consequences of it more than anybody else. I'm, you know, I told somebody a blind squirrel can find an acorn every now and then. We found a really big acorn. And the, the, the chicanery and the duplicity and the lying and the trickery is much worse. And it's worth going through. They put this on a primary ballot, assuming that in Kansas primaries have low turnouts. Most of the primaries are Republican and it would favor them. The second thing they did is they wrote confusing 
propaganda messaging on the wording of the ballot proposal. Anybody should just go look at it. The third thing is in, understand that the Diocese of Kansas City put $4 million in here. If you look up the Diocese of Kansas City in Wikipedia, I think in, at least in 2019 they had 206 active investigations of sex crimes. All right? $4 million, and, and it was trickery. On, on, on election day, they were sending out tweets saying, if you want to protect abortion, vote yes. I, I mean, it, it is outrageous. And they tried every cheating thing they could do, and they just didn't get beat, okay? Understand that. They got beat by 18 points, which is, you, you, elections like that don't happen. And it, it, it's, people are sick of this crap. They're sick of the line. They're sick of these right-wing preachers. They're sick of these clueless Catholic bishops. Who, who are tolerant of pedophilia, to say the least. And I, I think that just was a, a backlash. And, and I got to tell you, it was gratifying. I, I, I love being on the ground there. Uh, you, know, I, as, you know, I was pretty optimistic. I, I, but I, didn't want to say, I said I'd be more surprised if we lost by five than we won by five. I, but I, I, didn't see, I didn't see this coming. And the turnout was just astonishing. And, I, I mean, it, this was a... This was an earthquake in the middle of the country. Let me tell you, it's it, it really significant. And you're right. I, I rarely sent out tweets. I sent out one is don't, don't, you, you don't want to be, you know, a one-trick pony here. You, you, you got to, this is part of a, a larger thing, and we shouldn't just rely on this issue carrying us. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, but it can help. And, and right. it, is a, it is a legitimate issue in Senate and gubernatorial uh, uh, campaigns. I mean, there will be if the Republicans take control of the Senate and the House, they will try to pass uh, a bill outlawing abortion. They can't do it till they get someone in the White House. And Democrats, I mean, now that the Supreme Court has ended Roe, you can pass a simple piece of legislation codifying Roe as national policy. Uh, And uh, don't don't forget guns. Okay, the the, the Georgia legislature and the governor signed. This legislation, basically, you can take a gun anywhere you want in Georgia. There's this huge concert they've been having for quite a while in downtown Atlanta, over 100,000 people, and the promoters called it off because they couldn't, they couldn't accept the liability with, with, with these gun laws. And, you know, people say, well, young people are not motivated to vote. You know, well, God damn it, you like going to concerts? Because they're going to be calling them off left and right. This is not the first time that this is going to happen. These permissive gun laws, which... You, we, you know, again, I point out endlessly, we had a assault weapons ban in this country from 1994 to 2004. Thank you, President Clinton and Senator, and Senator Joe Biden. And we, we did everything, right? It, and this is idiotic, and it's going to cost people, and people do not like it. By the way, Beto O'Rourke is going to do better than people think. He's, he's, people get a – one thing I've noticed is people put somebody in a time capsule, and, and this has done a lot – the press does this a lot, and they don't account for a human being growing. That guy's grown as a human being and a candidate, I can tell you. Well, and I have to think that abortion is going to help him in Texas, too. If it's yeah, Look, look uh, uh, Kansas was Trump plus 15. Uh, states like Texas and Florida and Iowa, uh, Florida. Trump won clearly. But I want to tell you, uh, they weren't winning by 15, and uh, it's no. going to make a difference. And, on the and by the way, DeSantis doesn't want to talk about abortion, but he's not. They, 
you know, it's with Joe Lewis, you can run, but you can't hide. And this, put, well, this puts him front and center. And Florida is, a, is much more of a pro-choice state than Kansas. Well, let's talk about some of those other big primaries, because Tuesday was a huge day, day, mainly Republicans in four other states. And the Trump effect is mixed. He'll claim credit for Republican Tudor Dixon winning in Michigan. Hell, he embraced her three days before the primary when they knew she was going to win. And then in one of the most cowardly acts I've ever seen in Missouri, it was a Senate contest between the Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Eric Greitens, the former disgraced governor. So what did Trump do? He endorsed Eric. So guess what? He's claiming credit now. Sure, Donald. But he did score major wins in Arizona, uh, defeating establishment candidates, apparently for governor, certainly for senator, and secretary of states with all candidates who peddled the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen. He also backed a congressional candidate in Michigan with help from Democrats, who think he'll be easier to beat, who defeated one of the 10 Republican representatives who voted to impeach Trump. Two Washington state pro-impeachment Republicans survived this round. But if, as expected, Liz Cheney, unfortunately loses next week. Seven of the 10 Republicans who voted their conscience on impeachment, James, will be driven out of the party. The orange criminal has been weakened, no question about that. But with all these election deniers winning, he still is the dominant force and still is the Trump Republican Party. Well, tell this Michigan seat. So you had this elite hissy fit about the DCCC running ads to promote these, these goofy pro-Trump people, you know, I had no problem with it. I actually wholeheartedly approve of it. And, and, and that, I think it was Michigan 10th District out in Western Michigan. They promoted this goofy guy, and he won by a couple points. It, it made a difference. I think it's if three, they win yeah. that seat, now, you know, it's still pretty, you know, let's see what happens. But I, I, I wish all of these, you know, do-gooders people would, you know, understand that politics is, 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 is a tough combat sport. And I, I, I just, these people have always irritated me and they irritate me today. They, they have this smugness about them. That, you know, we're principled and people in politics are not. Okay, fuck you. That's what I think. Well, a couple, you know, I think, again, as we've talked about, and I've written about a lot this year, it's candidates against conditions. Uh, the conditions aren't great right now for Democrats. Maybe they'll get better. But the candidate contrast is striking. Let me just point out, too. In Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, the incumbent, is running against this woman, Tudor Dixon, who was a television conservative commentator, did a documentary on how bad Hillary Clinton was and all that. Tudor Dixon, in the state of Michigan, running for governor, is anti-abortion with no exceptions for rape, incest, or life of the mother. Now, there's a 1931 Michigan law, James, that would take effect right now uh, if, 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 uh, unless Gretchen Whitmer and the legislature stop that. And if Tudor Dixon is elected governor, that's what you'll have. If Kansas is voting this way, you know where Michigan is. And the other one is in Arizona, Blake Masters, who won the Senate primary to face Mark Kelly. Blake Masters wants to privatize Social Security. He wants to outlaw abortion. He wants to impeach Joe Biden for his border policies. And some time ago, you're going to think I'm making this up. You, you, you're going to accuse me of fabricating. He said it was a mistake for the United States to enter World War II. Now, I can't believe that a state that has elected Mo Udall, Bruce Babbitt, John McCain, Jeff Flake, and even Barry Goldwater is going to go for this whack job. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And something tells me Mark Kelly is going to raise a lot of money. 
don't know that, but I, th I think he'll raise much more than he needs. And, you know, the, 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 the tragedy of all of this is you're looking at the mainstream of the Republican Party. I'm sorry. You know, it, we the myth that there's a Jeff Flake Republican Party is just that, a myth. All right? And, and we just have to get over it. And people have to get over the fact that the only hope for the United States, the only one, is to elect Democrats. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I, I realize the party screwed up. I realize we've got some, you know, kind of people who are goofy, silly, uh, from time to time proposed, but I think a, a, a silly proposals. But that's the only hope you have. You, you, you just give up on it. There's no chance. And the problem is, is you know, as Lester Maddox said, the problem with the jails and Georgia is the quality of the inmate. The Republican Party has a massive problem is the most of the people that vote in their primaries are low-quality human beings, and you can't get around that. It's the, it, it's the Republican voter that's doing this, and, you, and it, it's not every Republican, but it's a majority of Republicans, and let's understand that. And, and as distasteful as some of these Democrats can be, that's the only hope the United States has. You know, in the past, when you would argue over taxes or national security or the level of uh, government spending, you know, you and I might have one view and it might be different, but there was a legitimate debate. I mean, you could at least argue it, you know, whatever you thought the merits were. When you have hundreds of Republican candidates for high office, governor, senator, secretary of state, running on denying that the 2020 election was legitimate, that is a 100% certifiable lie. I mean, that's just, uh, and, and, and it does great damage to the republic. It really does. And uh, they're dangerous. Uh, and you're right, they have to be defeated. But, but, but understand that, you know, at the times the arguments were being made, you suspected they were wrong, but you didn't know. So when they said, well, if you cut taxes on, on wealthy people, you'll, you'll, there'll be a trickle-down effect, everything will blossom. That has turned out to be demonstratively not true. Okay, they might have been, they might have thought it was going to work, but in the year 2022, we know more than we did in 1982. And cutting taxes on rich people has one effect. It makes rich people richer, and that's it. Yeah, now, but James, it, let me interrupt because, I, I mean, I'm sorry. That's still, you know, I agree with you, but that's still a debate. The, the idea that the election was fraudulent. The right. idea that it was stolen, but, that is a much more serious, a much deeper they're, they're, lie. They're, they're, That's they're, really, that but, profoundly affects our whole system of government. There's not a serious person that would say that cutting taxes for rich people is similar to the economy. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm sorry, I disagree with them, but there are people who say that. It, it is totally not, different than saying we, that the election was fraudulent. I'm, all that I'm goes to the kind of cornerstone I'm, of what I'm, a democratic system is all right, about. Right. I, all and I, and I think it's a mistake right. to conflate the two. I, I'm just making a point. I'm saying that we now have a mountain of evidence that this shit doesn't work. We didn't know for sure if, if things like Head Start or nutritional assistance or some of that stuff we thought was a good idea, but we didn't know. We now know that works. We now know that. And it, it does not promote people not working and all those stuff to say. We, we have a body of evidence. We just, we, we grow in knowledge over James, 40 years. James, I'm not years. making not, my point. There's not only a mountain of evidence, there's a universe of evidence that came in right away that right. the election I, I, was I, legitimate. I, that is I, a, that is a... 
issue that really goes to the heart. If you don't believe in honest elections in this country, it, I mean, it doesn't matter what your views are on other things. It really doesn't. Right. Well, I, 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 I agree that, 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 that that's idiotic and everything else, but I, I don't necessarily, you know, glorify their past. I thought maybe they, I will accept the fact that maybe they thought what they was doing would work. We now know it doesn't work. And, and yet, you know, legitimate Republicans, you know, try to say that. But at any rate, I mean, no, I mean, in, in, they, they don't, they're, most of the tenants that, that they had might have been good people, they might have thought it was going to work, have been disproved time and time and time again. You know, they started this stuff about, well, if you raise the minimum wage, you're going to hurt jobs. We now know that's not true. But it's not a legit, it's not even an argument that people even make in, 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 in economic circles anymore. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree with you. It, it's, you know, it's, it's different between being for bullshit, demonstrably approval policies and claiming that an election was stolen. I mean, one is a sort of political, you know, calculation that you just choose to avoid evidence to others is criminality. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not comparing the people on, on January 6th to, you know, the Reaganomics people, but one of the criminals, one is just flat out wrong, and there's a difference between the two. There is. All right, we agree on that. Okay. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, James, whether it's politics, war, family, or sports, David Marinus writes great books. I have said he and Evan Osnos are our David Halberstams. Uh, he's just incredible. David, your latest Jim Thorpe may be the best. Oh. You write not only about the greatest athlete, but the sad saga of our treatment of Native Americans. Let's start with the athlete. Excelled in track, running and throwing, played professional football, professional baseball, even tried a little basketball. We've never seen an athlete quite like this, have we? Well, no athlete uh, in the modern times has done everything that Jim Thorpe did. I think there might be some athletes who could have done it, like Bo Jackson, perhaps. Um, but no, I mean, Thorpe was, was unique. Uh, in all of those ways. No one has ever won gold medals, um, been the best football player in America, All-American in college, and the greatest uh, pro during the early years, and played Major League Baseball. I mean, not even Michael Jordan could do that. I mean, Thorpe wasn't as good at baseball as he was at football and track, but he was a major leaguer, and in one year with the Boston Braves, he hit 327. So, you know, there you go. We'll sign him for the Washington Nationals right now. Uh, David, uh, tell us 
about the Carlisle Indian School. That's where he made his mark. It was one of the great powerhouses in the early part of the 20th century. Tell us about the school. Well, the purpose of the Carlisle Indian Industrial School, its motto was, kill the Indian, save the man. Um, its purpose was to acculturate, to assimilate uh, American Indians and make them as white as possible. It was, and ironically, an effort done by progressives thinking they were doing well and preventing the Indians from suffering from genocide. Um, but in fact, they were taking away their culture, their religion, um, their hair even, they'd cut their hair, um, their language, uh, everything about them to try to make them white. Um, it had um, several sort of contradictory effects. One was that it had a great football team led by the legendary Pop Warner, um, who really made his name at Carlisle with Jim Thorpe. Um, they played all of the best teams on the East Coast, Harvard, Yale, Army, Syracuse, and beat them all, Penn, beat them all during that period um, when East Coast uh, dominated in football. Um, but the school had as many minuses as it did pluses. It, it, it took Indians away from their homelands. Um, the first uh, Indians who went there in 1879 when it was formed were Lakota Sioux, and they thought they were going east to die to show their bravery. And sadly, over the years, many young Native Americans did die at that school to walk the cemetery there, which is now the, uh, the Army War College, uh, still has the Indian cemetery there. And to walk that is a haunting experience, seeing all of those young American Indians who died while they were at school there. We'll come back to the treatment of the Indians. Let me a couple more things about Thorpe. The 1912 was the year of Jim Thorpe. The Stockholm Olympics, and then for him and his teammates, a special football game against West Point. You know, I think that that year might have been the most uh, luminescent year of any athlete in sports history, um, starting with those incredible performances in Stockholm where he won both the decathlon and the pentathlon, running away with both uh, of those group, uh, great events. Um, and then he came back uh, from that and was basically a global figure by that time, but he went back to Carlisle for his final season playing football and had a great All-American season. You know, the statistics in that era are incredibly iffy, but he seems like he ran for at least 2,000 yards um, and the greatest game he ever played was against West Point on November 9th, 1912. Um, Mikey Stadium didn't exist then. The game was played on the plane. And it was, think about it, it was American Indians against basically the U.S. Army, um, finally on a level playing field. Um, and the Indians knew what they were up against that day and what it meant symbolically. Um, and Jim Thorpe had his greatest game ever in a 27-6 win where he outplayed and knocked out of the game a linebacker for West Point named Dwight David Eisenhower. And, 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 and another West Pointer, Omar Bradley, watched that game from the bench. On the bench, wow. exactly. Talk about history. I, I'm going to turn it over to James in just a minute. But then after that, the Reigns came. They stripped him of his medals uh, because he played minor league baseball. Two of the villains in that story that you write about were Avery 
Brundage, yep. the longtime, I think, awful head of the Olympics, who refused to consider the medals injustice. And actually, Pop Warner, his superb football coach, but when it mattered, didn't show much character. Now, Pop Warner was an innovative, inventive, brilliant football coach. You know, after he left Carlisle, he led Pitt to um, some undefeated seasons and then went on to Stanford. And of course, people know him today because youth football is basically named after Pop Warner. Um, but uh, when I studied what he did with Jim Thorpe, um, he was cowardly. Uh, he knew exactly what Thorpe was doing. I document that in the book. For years, he had sent his um, athletes to play minor, minor league baseball in the Bush Leagues. Um, the, Thorpe was recruited by one of Pop Warner's best buddies up in Pennsylvania to play in the Eastern Carolina League. Now, hundreds of young college athletes were playing minor league baseball during the summers during that era, but they were all doing it under aliases. You know, Dwight Eisenhower, who I already mentioned, played in the Kansas State League under the name Wilson. Um, there were so many aliases in the Eastern Carolina League that they called it the Pocahontas League because everybody was named John Smith. Jim Thorpe played under his own name. Um, and when, when it was finally revealed, I mean, he, he played under his own name, so it was in the box scores in North Carolina every day for two years. But 1913, shortly after he won the gold medals, um, it, an, another East Coast paper in, in Worcester, Massachusetts, wrote the story interviewing one of his coaches down in Carolina. And then the big story broke, and Pop Warner pretended that he didn't know anything about it, and he basically threw Jim under the bus um, from that point on. Avery Brundage, it's stunning to me. I, I didn't really think about it, but, you know, you think about Brundage as, as this fat cat, cigar-smoking, um, you know, rich uh, hotelier. He was a decathlete himself. He competed in those 1912 Olympics with on, on the team with Jim Thorpe, and he was terrible. He was so bad that he quit before the final events. You know, this this uh, arbiter of, of amateurism who constantly was talking about how it was important just to compete and not nationality or how you did. He quit because he was doing so poorly. Anyway, from then on, as he rose through the ranks, um, first to become the head of the American Olympic Committee, the U.S. Olympic Committee, the International Olympic Committee, decade after decade, he refused to allow Jim his medals back while everybody else was pushing for them. And he went to his grave still denying Thorpe his justice. Well, you know, against Jim Thorpe and, uh, and, for, and for the Nazis in 1936. Exactly. What, a, what, a, what a legacy. James Carville. How did he get his medals back, David? I just, well, you know, that's a good question because in 1983, um, when the Olympics were coming to Los Angeles the next year, um, finally, enough pressure had been put on Juan Antonio Samarang, the IOC president, that they did a celebration in L.A. where they gave Jim Thorpe's seven children um, copies of those medals. Um, but they, that's all they did. They didn't change the record books. He still was considered, you know, he wasn't in the record books. Um, the, the people who finished in second place in Stockholm in those events were still considered the winners. And it wasn't until this last month that finally the IOC decided that enough was enough and they put Thorpe back in the record books. He's got, he's, you know, the, the medals are, who knows where those are. 
um, but he's got the, the, the records that matter the most for him. Uh, he is the Olympic champion again. It took 80 years. So, so let's go back to November 9th, 1912. And, and this was a football game, but it was very much a cultural event. I mean, oh. I think the, 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 the Indians and the Native Americans were a little pissed off at the French and Indian Wars. I mean, at the, excuse me, at the Indian Wars the U.S. conducted on them. And there were probably some people still on the faculty at West Point that participated in those wars. I mean, was there a real sense we're going to get these sons of bitches or what they did to us? Oh, totally, yes. Um, and Pop Warner, the coach, uh, played up that fact, you know, that this was finally the time to get back at, at the Long Knives, as the cavalry was called. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, this, this event, the, the game took place only a mile from the grave of George Armstrong Custer. You know, uh, and the Carlisle Indian School was founded only three years after the Battle of the Little Bighorn. So all of this history was playing out. And, you know, there's a, there's a great uh, Native American novelist and playwright named M. Scott Momaday. And I quote him in the book saying, you know, there was something in the air that cold November day, something made of omens and prophecies. Some old imbalance was being set right. And that's really, you know, I mean, football games are football games, but this one was more than that. It went, it, like, it was well covered nationally. I mean, oh, totally. It, my it, dad used to talk about it all the time. He, he was just, you know, jumped off the greatest athlete ever lived. Yeah, Grantland Rice. Even, uh, not grew up, no any question. Grantland Rice loved Jim Thorpe. Um, and uh, he wrote about him whenever he could for from then on for decades. Um, but, I mean, he, it's hard to think about today, but East Coast football was the thing then in college sports. Oh, I mean, yeah. LSU was good, uh, but but really the East Coast is where yeah. all the, the sports writers were, and, and that, that got all the attention. So every sports writer in New York at a time when there were 20-some newspapers in New York went up to West Point uh, for that for that game, and it was incredibly well covered. Before I turn it over, I mean, this is a historical thing, a, a lot of Union heroes— uh, Phil Sheridan, you know, even my guy uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, LSU's first president, they didn't they didn't distinguish themselves in, in the Indian Wars or in the Well, the, the U.S. government was pretty awful. I mean, it was the U.S. policy, you know, to basically manifest destiny. The Indians were in the way, get rid of them <clears throat> by whatever means necessary. So, you know, doing phony treaties, moving them across the Mississippi and then killing them once there and then taking away their land and and sending them away from their homelands. Um, so, yes, um, Sheridan, Sherman, um, even O.O. O. Howard, for whom Howard University is named, was a was a um, an army general who chased uh, Chief Joseph in the Nez Perce all the way across uh, the Northwest. Um, so there's this irony that many of these great generals who who fought to free the slaves, you know, in the Civil War, were progressive on African-American issues were also Indian killers. That's just part of the contradictions of American history. Well, no one brings them to light better than you, Albert. David, uh, Jim Thorpe is not a especially large man. Uh, and one of the great descriptions that you, um, that you cite in the book is of the uh, famed poet Marianne Moore, who taught at Carlisle, who said yeah, he had... Incredible. He had an ease in his gait, 
equilibrium without structure. He was the epitome of concentration, wary with an effect of plenty and reserve. Wow. You know, uh, great, you, you know a great athlete when you see them usually. And there's something that's just electric about their, uh, their presence. And Jim Thorpe had that. Uh, I think Marianne Moore described it as well as anyone could, but sometimes you just have to see it. Um, and, you know, Thorpe was one of those athletes that was, that was powerful, beautiful, electric. Um, you know, he never, great athletes never look like they're working that hard until they are, you know, whether it's Lionel Messi on the soccer field or, or you know, anybody. I mean, they all have this incredible storage of energy that they explode with um, when need be. And that's the way Jim Thorpe was. Well, boy, you, you know, even looking at, the, at his pictures in your book, uh, you get that sense. It's incredible. You know, as, a, as an American Indian, he faced slights throughout his entire adult life, before Carlisle, doing Carlisle, and a lot afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but he championed their cause. Uh, he tried to get Hollywood, you write, to have Indians play Indians in movies. He failed, even in the movie about his life. But he, was, he, he never ran away from his heritage, did he? He did not. Um, he was, you know, he wasn't the most political figure I've written about, even among athletes, um, compared to, for instance, Roberto Clemente. Um, but on the issues of Native American rights, he was very strong throughout his life. And you're right, there was a period in the 1930s, especially, when he was living um, near Los Angeles, and he was basically the leader of about 200 to 300 um, Native Americans who were extras on movie sets. And they were pushing hard to persuade the uh, studios to hire actual Indians instead of fake Indians with grease paint, um, you know, white guys or, or whatever, um, to play Indians. Um, so he was the leader of that movement during that entire period. And it reflected his, his pride in who he was. David, he died in a trailer park, destitute, drinking cheap wine, you write. Yet you don't see his life overall as a tragic one. Well, it certainly had a lot of tragedy to it. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I kept, you know, as I was researching the book, I kept rooting for something better to happen for him as he, you know, as he lived out those final 30 years. And then I came to realize that it was perseverance, um, that he showed incredible perseverance. Just keep going, keep trying to find another job, keep hoping for that break. And, you know, as you guys know, and Carville sort of lived off this, you know, um, perseverance is a wonderful attribute for a politician or for anybody in life. Yeah. So, so David, uh, I, I got to tell you, it's one of my five greatest political stories of all time, and you were involved in it. Okay. So it was a Saturday in September of 92, and I'm at the Capitol Bar in Little Rock drinking with Hunter Thompson and P.J. O'Ruick or something, and George <laughs> calls and says, holy shit. He said, David Marinus has a story. The Republicans put out something that Clinton had raised taxes 124 times. It was total bullshit that it raised a fee at a state park. They'd call it a tax increase. And so you call Betsy Wright, and she said, well, it actually was 127, not 124. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, ruined, you ruined my Saturday night. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, James. And I think some other things ruined more of your Saturday nights than that. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's just it's name dropping at at, at, at its best. It it has the benefit. <laughs> unlike a lot of stories I tell, it's that's a hundred percent true. It's not at all exaggerated. <laughs> no, it is true. Yeah, <laughs> you had a good sense to call Betsy and not me. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> that's what you got to well, do. You, I mean, you know who's going to spill I, the beans? Well, I mean, you've had a r remarkable career in journalism and as a biographer and and everything else. And, you know, all of our listeners would be well to to read this book and the other ones that you've written. I mean, the one on Bill Clinton, the one on Obama, Vince Lombardi. I mean, you name it. I mean, you have a, 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 a real range. And uh, it was just a delight to be able to interview you on this show. Well, you sure are. And the wonderfully touching <laughs> one you wrote about your family, uh, too, David. Um, I, I, you know, one, let me ask you a question that just yeah. puzzles me. Uh, there is a small town in the Poconos named Jim Thorpe. It's one of the right. very few towns in America with a surname and a last name. And I guess that may help keep the legacy alive. Yet some of his relatives wanted his bones to return to his native Oklahoma, his tribal ancestral home. Which would have been better? Or which is better? Well, let me start by saying I have nothing against the people of Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. They didn't do anything wrong. Um, it was Jim Thorpe's third wife who basically sold his bones to some place that would build a mausoleum to him, and he, she persuaded them to change their name to Jim Thorpe from Mock Chunk in East Mock Chunk, Pennsylvania, to Jim Thorpe. So they did it, and, you know, they built the mausoleum. His bones are there. People go there. It's not the biggest tourist attraction in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I believe that just like the young people who died at Carlisle and are buried in the cemetery there, finally they're being repatriated to their homelands, you know, to the Ojibwa in Wisconsin and the Lakota Sioux in South Dakota and elsewhere. And I think Jim Thorpe belongs with the Sac and Fox in Oklahoma. That's where he was from. That's who he is. And he never stepped in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania in his life until he was you know, well, I, I, I'll say this. I don't know if it was egregious or not, but it, it's not even in comparison of Trump burying his first wife to get a tax break <laughs> on his golf course. <laughs> it's just a it's pretty like, much. It's a stretch, James, but there's something there that's a little bit yeah, off about right. both of them. Right. More yeah. so than Trump. I, I think you're probably right, but I want I, I want to second what James said for all of our listeners out there. You want to get right. you want to get right away. Path lit by lightning. I mean, the the Jim Thorpe book. It is an incredible read. There are parts that are really sad. David, you know, you talked about your doing your research. I kept pulling. You know, I'd get to page you know 344 and say, "All right, it's going to get better now. It's going to get better now." But it is an incredible book. And again, it's path lit by lightning by the great. David Marinus, please, everybody get it. And David, thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Hey, Not 124, 127. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Thank you. Okay, now for our questions, uh, which we love every week. Gosh, we got a great group of people out there sending in questions. James, we got a number of questions who want to turn to the great um, uh, 
Machiavelli of American politics, James Carville. So Linda in Holden, Mass. asks, does making campaign phone calls do any good? She's obviously involved in a campaign. They usually seem to annoy people, and they're miserable. Uh, so does it make more sense just to donate money, which I do as well? And by the way, uh, you know, what do you think of uh, the state party in places like Pennsylvania? But take the first first. Uh, y- y- yes. I mean, I'll, I'll, it, it, yeah, and I, I think a direct contribution to a campaign, I, I always tell our listeners that's the best thing you can do is give it direct to, to, the, to the campaign. It, and a lot of it depends on the list that you get. You know, I mean, you're making calls to to get, you know, potential Democrats out to vote, or you're calling swing voters, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're doing phone calls, the, the most important thing is the list of voters you get. But there's also, you might annoy some people, but there, there's some people are just lonely. I mean, if you you can see it when you go to a supermarket or you, you you know go to a coffee shop, and they just have a chance to converse, and you you, you know you, you you could you could get some voters to come out and vote that maybe wouldn't have forgot about the election. So, but, but I think it's a, a noble undertaking and can you know be of some value. I guess, boy. I stay home most days, and I, I hate all those telephone calls. But, you, you, know. you have a lot of people that call you. There's a lot of lonely people in this world. Yeah, that's and Particularly true. people that, that don't vote that much. I mean, yeah. you know, people that listen to the show are engaged, and, you know, that, you know, after the show you get five text messages and you, gotta, you return three calls. Most, most people's lives are not like that. And I, th- I think the phone calls can be effective, particularly in, you know, older, uh, less affluent Americans. Yeah. Well, Kim in Ashburn, Virginia, says she votes in every election, a solid Democrat. But come on, the Democrats play too nice, she says. If charges aren't brought against Trump, I have to question my knocking doors, serving as election officer, or voting anymore. Aside from being a good citizen or trying to save democracy with my, my one little vote, what's the point? Kim, you know, you're right. There's a lot of stories written about the political repercussions if Merrick Garland or I suppose the prosecutor down in... Atlanta indicts uh, a former president. Well, let me tell you, there are huge consequences if they don't indict a former president. The consequences, certainly for people like you, will make you certainly less eager to stay involved as you apparently are in politics. And for those people who talk about the rule of law, uh, you don't want to have to put an asterisk. It's the rule of law for everybody except an ex-president. Yeah, I'm very sympathetic to the way you feel. And, you know, it's always discussion. Well, if you indict Trump, are you just going to stoke his thing up? Or what are you doing? If you think he's a criminal, bring him to justice. All right? And, and I got to give to January 6th. A lot of people skeptical about this committee. I, I take a little credit. I was a little less skeptical and more optimistic than a lot of people. But, you know, I think they've done a good job of bringing heat. And, you know, I, you know, Mary Garland's a busy man. He's a, very, he's a very measured person. But somebody pointed, he prosecuted the Oklahoma City bomber, the Unabomber, the Olympic bomber, all right? And this guy, we tend to get down on him, but he might be, you know, he might be very quiet and he might be very deadly here. And I I, I, I think that he is starting to realize and they're starting to call people that you, you just can't let anybody in the country, much less the president, go on, on, a, on a crime spree, because that's all Trump was on, was a crime spree. And the shit in Atlanta is, is serious. It's a heartbeat. It's a James, heartbeat. Uh, Dan in Concord, New Hampshire, I think maybe trying, trying to 
uh, tweak you a little bit here. He says, if Democrats were in the majority in the state with a crucial ballot question, would you favor scheduling the vote for a date inconvenient to the other party, as Republicans did in Kansas? I probably, I, I, I can't think of a sort of example, but I, I, I probably would, but I would be a little trepidatious because if you do that, what happened in Kansas actually pissed people off. You got to be careful because it's the law of unintended consequences. I don't think it was, it, it was some dubious legality to have a ballot measure on a primary ballot. They did something to cover it up. But, 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 but I, 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 no, I, I would, you know, people, a lot of times Democrats will schedule a, a casino referendum on the day of an election under the correct theory that the casino people spend a lot of money on GOTV. And a lot of, uh, minorities and 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 Democrats are, are, are targeted for you know to get out to vote to go vote on a casino referendum. That that that's not unheard of, and I I, I don't so much think is what they did was unethical, but it, it it backfired because when you try that, it 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 people see it and it and it irritates the hell out of them, and I think that was a big part of what happened in Kansas. If you, you you know, if you put this convoluted propaganda message that's on the ballot, it really irritates the hell out of people because they can see through it. So, answer is, I, I would do it if I thought it worked, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, very cautious because when people catch on to what you're trying to do, it, it, it irritates them. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I agree. Uh, John in Spring, Texas, asked, uh, was Pelosi going to Taiwan a bad idea? John, um, I, I, virtually the entire foreign policy establishment, most editorial writers, most foreign policy columnists say, yes, it was a bad idea. I disagree. Uh, I, think, I think she showed um, – uh, if, if an American speaker can't go to another country because they are threatened – uh, by whether it's China, Russia, or anyplace else, uh, I just think that's unacceptable. I think our relations with China, far more than Russia, are the most important geopolitical question in the next 20 or 25 years. I'm sure this upsets the Chinese. I'm sure they'll take some action. But uh, if, if she had backed away from that trip, I think the consequences would have been greater. And once again, I think Nancy Pelosi showed her determination, her grit, and her courage. Well, of course, I worship Nancy Pelosi, and the thing I like about her most is she's a politician. I like that. Guess if you just had to guess off the top of your head, what congressional district in the United States has the most people with relatives in Taiwan? I'll give you a hint: San Francisco. All right, and her going there is, you know, it, it, it's different, but you know, a, a, a lot, a lot of. Jewish congressmen or congressmen a lot of Jews in the district go to Israel. Not uncommon for Irish politicians to go to Ireland. You know, Italian politicians to go to Italy. Uh, she was doing constituent service, too. Don't forget that there was a political motivation here. And I kind of like that. That's part of her job. Well, and another disagreement. The foreign I think policy establishment doesn't acknowledge that politics exists. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that had, had a thing to do with her trip. She no. was going to question of whether she wins by eighty-four percent or eighty-two percent. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and she has been. You know, she was in Tiananmen in nineteen ninety. 
right. protesting what the Chinese had done there. She has a long record on this. Uh, I'm not surprised that she went, and I think mm -hmm. on balance it's good that she did go. She was probably informed by many of her, you know, constituents as to, as to the problem, but, you know, they, no politi every politician runs scared. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe. Um, Cody in Nashville, Tennessee, wants to know, James, could Andrew Yang's forward party be exploited to make sure never-Trump Republicans go third party instead of going red again? That's the stupidest idea you can imagine. And it's all this moral vanity. And what are you going to do? You're going to do what Ralph Nader did, all right? You're going to elect George W. Bush. You're going to do what Jill Stein did. You're going to elect Donald Trump, okay? And, and so what, what they're going to do are, are to try to raise money and make people feel superior is, is they will peel off people who would never, who, you know, who can't stand Republicans, but they, they like Republican policies like low taxes on rich people yeah. or, or, or pollution, all right? And this is just Andrew Yang and Christy Todd Whitman and, and David Jolly just parading in front of the country, you know, how, how moral and ethical we are. It's a terrible idea. Anybody gets involved in it is, is a fool. Agree. Mike in San Diego, California. Says about Build Back Better, it looks like a much reduced bill by Joe Manchin may get passed. But would it have been wiser to have broken these down into smaller bills with specific goals and smaller price tags? Names like Americans would understand, lower prescription drug prices. You know, Mike, that was a debate back then. That's a lot harder to do than you think. Uh, you have to go through all kinds of procedural hurdles. Passing legislation is never easy. Uh, and uh, I, I haven't... I haven't been a critic of Chuck Schumer, but I had my doubts. I thought he was no Nancy Pelosi. I give him great credit on this. He showed tremendous patience. He, he dealt with um, uh, Senator Manchin, uh, I think, uh, privately, uh, but he dealt with him well. Other senators helped, too. And uh, I, I think they're going to pass this bill. It's a good bill. It will help a number of people. should help Democrats a little bit in the fall. And it drove Mitch McConnell crazy. Those are all very worthy goals. Well, I, I always defer to you on the legislative process because, uh, A, I, I don't know very much about it, and B, you know a lot about it. You've covered it for the last gazillion years. Uh, my, my, my favorite is that is Susan Collins, who, who the media keeps falling for every time, saying, well, I can't, because Manchin made a deal with Chuck Schumer, I can't vote for marriage equality. What the hell are you talking about, woman? What does one have to do with the other? It, and people keep taking her seriously. She's not a serious person. She's goofy, all right? I, I mean, so you really made me mad because you, you, you made a deal. It, it's, it's, it's absurd. That's why people, it's a large part of why people hate Washington. That reminds me of the, the great basketball story that Jerry Tarkinian said that, uh, that uh, the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky uh, that, that, that they're going to put Cleveland State on probation. <laughs> yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. It's, uh, just, it's just like, the other thing is they've really got, it was good to see, and I, I give John Stewart a lot of credit on this, it was good to see the Cook a jaw slam on their hand with this. Oh, they sure did. John Ted Stewart Cruz. and John Tester. Hey, and they got to keep that that fist bump of Ted Cruz and Steve Daines, and they got to run that and loop that and just run it constantly. Yep. James, we got two questions one from 
Well, I'm going to combine them for the final question. John in Sonoma and then Jerome in Old Bridge. Uh, John says, pretend that Trump doesn't get the nomination. Is DeSantis even more of a threat to democracy? And Jerome wants to say, you know, should Democrats do something to try to get the Trump people involved to hurt DeSantis because he could be a bigger threat? Your take on DeSantis v. Trump. Yeah, I, 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 he is definitely smarter than Trump. And he, he's just as... You know, and he's, I think he's hes smarter and he's ideologically, like, deeper. Uh, he's a strange guy, but, you know, I, if I were to say this, I, I wouldn't be so much worried about Democrats. Is I would be worried about Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton and people like that. They're going to knock his ass off, and they don't play by the same rules that we do. And, and if I were, you know, uneasy as to the throne, okay, on the head. It, 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 if I were him, it'd be uneasy, but he, he's a lot smarter than Trump. I'm just not sure. I, I'm just one of these people that not sure we're going to get beaten Florida. But uh, if Nikki Freed gets the nomination and she and Val Demings, they, and, and DeSantis doesn't like this abortion issue. He doesn't want to talk about it. He tries to slip out of it. He's 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 very slippery. He doesn't talk to the press, uh, but I'm 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 just I'm just not sure that that Val and Nikki can't make a run of this thing. I, I, I remain unconvinced. Well, we will see. Uh, but but he is certainly one uh, one uh, I, I think difficult man. I think he is smarter than Trump. Uh, Trump doesn't have any ideology. I mean, Trump is just no. it's all transactional. Uh, and in that sense, uh, DeSantis is more. You know, could be more dangerous, but he's a he is a strange. He doesn't have any friends, James. Of course, neither does Trump. He, well, he, he, that's what he is. He, he he has some, and people say this. The donors say it. He's not. He you know he's no he's no Bill Clinton. He doesn't schmooze with the donors. You know, he's very. I think he kind of talks to his wife. I mean, I that's his own business. It's not his his kind of, you know, antisocial personality that bothers me. It it it's his undemocratic way of, of governing and just stupid. I mean, he wants to take, you know, money from school lunches and put it in anti-trans education. I mean, oh, come on, man. Don't these children have enough shit to deal with? I, I mean, God almighty, man. It, it's just the gratuitous cruelty of some people is, is, is it's, just, it's just sickening. And, and he is a gratuitously cruel man. I think Ron DeSantis, in, in many ways, enjoys hurting people. And boy, if you, if you are any these, these children, the the suicide rate among these children, I don't know, is ten times it is anybody else. If you can't have a humane attitude, you're just not much of a human being. Yeah. Well, that's him. Yeah. All right, keep those. Uh, Cards, letters, emails coming in because we love to take your questions. We can't get to them all, but we'll try to get to those we don't get to. Uh, we can have another shot at it next week. So thank you. All right, now for the outrage of the week. James, rather than an outrage, I want to pay tribute to one of the greatest athletes and citizens we've ever known, Bill Russell, the legendary Boston Celtics. You know, the Celtics hadn't won an NBA title before Russell arrived. They then won 11 of the next 13. 
That's unmatchable in professional sports. Some argue, yeah, well, there were fewer teams then. But as a big man, he went up against and beat the likes of Wilt Chamberlain, Walt Bellamy, Nate Thurman, Willis Reed, all in the Hall of Fame. His coach, Red Auerbach, said, Michael Jordan may be the greatest player ever, but if you want to start a team, the first person you pick is Bill Russell. This incredibly proud and intelligent black man refused to bow to the stain of segregation and bigotry. He stood up for courage from Muhammad Ali to Colin Kaepernick. He had a reputation for being standoffish. He didn't give autographs. But let me tell you one story. At Senator Kennedy's funeral, most guests took a bus to the cathedral, including my wife, Judy Woodruff. She wasn't an NBA fan, but when we got to the church, she talked about the engaging conversation she had with her seatmate, who she didn't know. Then, as this regal six-foot-ten-inch icon began walking down the aisle, she said, that's him. Never mind the presidents and other dignitaries who were there at that service. All eyes were tuned, turned to Bill Russell. What a life. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything. I don't have an outrage. I agree. I endorse it. He was a, an incredible uh, person. I, I was around him. I, I know him as be a little bit of a stretch, but I've had conversations with him on three or four different occasions. And uh, I've seen the way that I reacted to him and other people reacted to him. And uh, he, he and I'm proud to say he's a native Louisianian. And he had a, a, he was just an incredible competitor athlete. And he was a, a human being that when he spoke, you listened and listened intently. So yes, he'll be missed. What a great guy. What a great career. One of the smartest athletes of all times. Uh, there, there's a story on one of these, I think it's a Bill Simmons podcast, who spent time with him, and his, his, his wife went, and they went back to a 1956 Oregon State San Francisco game. This was 50 years later. He remembered every single play. He, he, there was never a, a player who was a better student of the game. So, and he One had of my life. favorite quotes is in, when they were playing San Francisco and they won those national championships, Casey Jones was on the same team, and he was declared ineligible for the NCAA tournament. And Russell was in college. I said, what do you think? He said, the spokes change, the wheel keeps rolling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a <laughs> when spokes change, the wheel keeps rolling. <laughs> I think they won 56 straight games, 55 straight games. Like that. The San Francisco Dons were not a powerhouse before Bill Russell arrived. <laughs> and after he left, and, no, and neither were the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the links to our sponsors, Miracle Brand and Magic Spoon, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.